Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I've been teasing this whole Roth IRA thing for so long now. I feel like there's a little bit of pressure now. It's like I've been cooking something up in a lab like it's this big cure. It's really pretty simple. And uh, I'll go ahead. This obviously isn't my Roth IRA. The, this 41000 that's on the thumbnail, sorry if you're new to the channel, but I put the account value of this portfolio, my dividend growth portfolio, the primary one, I put the account value on every single thumbnail. And I didn't want to switch that for the Roth, but the Roth value is only like, you know, it's, it's quite a bit lower. Regardless, uh, it's pretty simple. I'll get to it in just a minute. I just had two exciting announcements I wanted to share with you guys first before jumping into the Roth. So thing number one, let's go and look here. Wait a minute. Let's go and look at this. The Clips channel. That's right. A lot of you, this has been a long time coming. Um, a lot of people have pointed out that my videos are long and they're they're very long. 38 minutes, 25, 48. You know, some of them are, are close to an hour long. Many of them are 40 minutes or longer. And they cover a variety of different subjects, which I'm sure, uh, I, really these videos are like podcast style videos. They have some visuals with them too, but a lot of it's just me talking about different investing principles, keeping you guys up to date on my portfolio here and what's going on, as well as news topics and answering questions and all different stuff. Anyway, what I did was to make it so that in the situation where you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, or there was a part that stuck out to you that you want to share with a friend, I have a Clips channel now. And if you guys aren't familiar with this, lots of people do this that have long form content. They take the highlights out of the longer videos that focus on one single topic and they put them into a separate channel and then it's a clip. So for instance, out of episode, I believe two, episode two, this one right here, debunking dividend lies, out of this 32 minute episode, there's really a five minute part that has a part where I address one of the most common, what I believe is like a really common myth about dividends. And what I did is I clipped just that part out, put it into its own separate video. And so you're able to go and watch it there and share it with friends or do whatever, you know, uh, you can just browse through it. As you can see, I only have one video uploaded right now. This channel is going to populate very quickly. I have a ton of content that can be taken out and put into individual clips just like this one all throughout my whole video history. It'll make it very easy for you guys to, to browse individual topics, go through and see if anything piques your interest just based off the title. And then when you are in it, so this red, it will have the full episode link as well. Anyways, I'm hopeful that that will make it easier for some people that would rather have these shorter clips. The other announcement kind of segues into this as well. Like I said, these are longer videos and you might have noticed, I mean, it's it's what I'm doing here is like a podcast and I've had more than enough people mention that they wish they had an audio only version of this, this show that I do. And I've been planning on doing this for a while. It's a long time coming and we are finally here. If I go here, this is SoundCloud. I'll be linking this in the description. I have so far five episodes uploaded. By the time you guys watch this, I should have every single one here. The full audio episodes of of every single one and every future one will be on SoundCloud as well as Spotify and as well as iTunes. 
as soon as Apple decides to approve it. So it's in the approval process right now. I don't know how long that can take. They say it can take up to two weeks, but I'll get it worked out. I've worked with Apple a lot, so we'll get this sorted out. They take longer than anybody else to verify this stuff. But regardless, here you have the audio-only version. Be sure to follow those, subscribe to those, do whatever you do on the different platforms. They'll be on the Apple Podcast um, app. They'll be on SoundCloud and Spotify are the three platforms I'm starting with. Uh, and of course, I'm not going to change the content all that much for YouTube. So there will still be some stuff that's like more visual based, but I think you'll be able to get the context of it, even if you're listening to it. Uh, other than that, I appreciate you guys listening to those quick announcements. Now time to jump into the Roth IRA. So I won't comment too much about this. Obviously, this portfolio is killing it. I mean, this last month, the stock market's been crazy, but this portfolio has been killing it. Let's go over to the Roth IRA. Boom. We are here. Simple. This is what it is. You can see that I pretty much just funded it recently. I have $7,000 in it. Before I kick off into the different holdings and the percentages and why I chose them, all of that's good stuff. Let me just tell you, it's very easy. You notice this little tab here. I have both my, my nice Roth IRA retirement account and my passive income dividend one. I can toggle to and from them like that in seconds. So uh, M1 Finance offers a free Roth IRA I mean, the only fee I think they charge is like if you cancel it, it's like a hundred bucks or something. And you have a ha you have to have a minimum deposit of five hundred dollars. So there's a, a few little quirks like that, but everything else you can see looks identical and functions virtually identical as a, as a taxable account. If I go to the funding here, this will show you what's happened. For 2019, I funded the full six thousand, so I'm ahead of schedule on that. For 2018, I only funded a thousand. This is when I was starting off. I decided to try out M1 Finance. I didn't really want to commit my retirement account to it. And, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be committing the, the money long term. But as I grew to really like this platform, I decided to uh, commit a lot more money to it, use it as my retirement account, all that good stuff. Now I have funded $7,000 flat. It's gone up $149 in a pretty short amount of time. So you can see that it's been sitting at $1,000 for a very long time. And then I funded the rest of it just recently, just in the past month or two. Uh, but now let's get to the holdings. This might not be what you're expecting. And I want to give you my context and my my thoughts of doing this before I actually jump into it. Because it, there's really what you're investing in, really what you choose to buy uh, as far as your holdings, has to do a lot with your goals. My goal for my Roth IRA is not to make me filthy rich. My goal for my Roth IRA is a safe backup plan in case the other things in my life do not make me rich. This needs to hold its value and gain a lot of value over time in a very safe, methodical way. And what I did is I focused it just like my main portfolio because this main portfolio is not a gimmick to me. This is really what I believe is the best investing uh, that can be done, in my opinion. As far as if you look at risk-adjusted returns, I like to focus on dividends, which is another way of saying I focus on cash flow. Dividends are cash flow of a company. The company, in order to grow a dividend over and over again, the company has to grow its cash flow over and over again. It has to grow its net income over and over again. And that's what I tried to focus on with my Roth IRA as well. So every single one of these holdings, I have six different ETFs, and every one of them is focused on cash flow. 60% uh, of it is through the equity market. 40% of it is through the credit market. So it's 60-40 stocks and bonds. Now, you might think that's a lot of bonds, super conservative, but none of these bonds are treasuries. 
In fact, some of them are pretty high yielding, a little bit riskier. Regardless, every single holding in this, every single holding in this ETF pay dividends. So like the S&P 500 pays dividends, but not every holding inside of the S&P 500 pays dividends. Every single holding in these pay either interest, which are converted into dividends by the ETF, or they just pay dividends themselves. The ones you're familiar with is probably SPHD. This is just a classic one um, uh, that I've brought up many times. I really like the methodology behind it. It holds 50 to 52 companies in S&P 500 that pay historically very high dividends. It pays out monthly, almost a 4% yield, has a little bit higher expense ratio, and it follows the S&P 500 pretty closely, but I think it's a little bit more focused on those companies that pay cash flow, which is what I want. That is my largest holding at 30%. The next one, uh, what I, this is a little confusing actually the way this is ordered because it goes SPHD, which is equity. Then it goes LQD, which is bonds. I want to skip that and kind of group them together, equity and bonds. So I'll go from SPHD to VYM. Now VYM is 20%. So between SPHD and VYM, Vanguard high dividend yield. That's the ETF that it is. Now this one's 20%. Between those two, that makes up half my portfolio right there, 50%. And the reason I chose this one is because I think it's another really great fund by Vanguard. It pays out four times a year, so it has a different payout schedule than SPHD. If I look at the details, it pays a little bit lower yield, 3%, has a much lower expense ratio, has a lot higher assets under management. It has a lot more holdings. So instead of like 52, it has 425. And I like the mixture. I still believe that VYM holds all U.S. companies. But I think, I mean, the U.S. has really good, just big dividend paying companies. So I don't mind having 50% of my portfolio in those companies. That comprises right there 50%. I'll continue on with just the equity portion of my portfolio. The last 10% is VNQ, Vanguard Real Estate. If I go to here, you guys are probably familiar with this one as well. I think it's a very solid fund. 3.6% uh, yield just in line with the other two. A lot of assets under management, really low expense ratio of 0.1. And really all this one does is it just invests in real estate. Uh, so every single holding is real estate. Now there is overlap and it's intentional. There's overlap between all three of these. SPHD, VYM, and VNQ have overlap. Really, uh, SPHD has some overlap with VYM and SPHD has some overlap with VNQ. But VYM and VNQ have zero overlap because VYM doesn't have any real estate and VNQ doesn't have anything but real estate. So all of these, I mean, they, they kind of overlap with each other a little bit, but it diversifies my portfolio quite a bit between the equity. I'm focusing on cash flow and income, still investing in all those companies, but in an easy way where it's done with the ETFs. Now let's go into the bonds. We have LQD. This is a really basic one. This is 20%. So if I look at this one, this is the one that I uh, hold in my other portfolio as well. 3.4% dividend yield. This invests in U.S. investment grade corporate bonds. And that's 20% of my portfolio. I like it. All the bond ETFs pay month over month. So they don't pay quarterly. They pay monthly. The thing I really like about this one, it has a lot of assets under management. I feel like that's somewhat important when you're looking at bond funds, that it has a lot of liquidity because the underlying assets is not liquid. So... If you have higher assets under management, that's a good thing. Expense ratio is pretty low. Dividend yield is pretty high. I, I think a pretty solid fund. So right there we have 
30% for SPHD, VYMs 20, VNQs 10. So that's 60% between the equities. Now out of the 40% that are bonds, half of that is LQD. And then the other half is split between these two funds, EMB and BNDX. This is where I get international exposure here with 20% of my portfolio. I'll go to BNDX first. BNDX is the Vanguard Total International Bond ETF. And so this one's investing mostly in Europe and Canada, and it's holding what's considered like investment grade corporate bonds for those uh, for those two areas. So all throughout Europe, all the different countries there, and Canada holds them as well as some Pacific countries, but mostly this is developed countries that it's investing in. That's the majority of it. And it's pretty straightforward. 2.9% dividend yield, very low expense ratio, 16 billion under management. So this is again, a really big fund ran by Vanguard. I think it has a lot of liquidity that way. The other one, this one is a uh, quite a bit different. This is EMB and it is a emerging market bond ETF. This one obviously is going to have much higher dividend yield. 5.4% has a much higher expense ratio. I've noticed things that uh, funds that run in emerging markets, whether they're dividends or they're based off of credit and interest, they have a much higher expense ratio. I'm sure it's just more expensive, more costly to run a fund in emerging markets where these countries are mostly third world countries, very difficult to run a fund there, but they charge a little bit more to do it because the dividend yield is quite a bit more. You can just minus this off of the dividend yield and it'll give you a rough idea of the interest rate on this. But all of these put together, I think I think it's important to know that all of these put together are to create a portfolio where I'm constantly getting cash flow that's reinvested. With a Roth IRA, my biggest limitation is the amount that I can invest. It limits you at 6,000 per year. And I can invest a lot more of that in an individual account. But what I wanna do is have a situation where my dividends are being reinvested so often because dividends do not count towards your contribution limit. Like if I go right here, and I go down to this 6,000 here. If I'm paid if I'm paid $500 in dividends, that does not count towards my contribution limit. That gets reinvested completely tax-free. And so that's the focus of it for me is to have constant compounding. I feel like M1 gives some advantages with that. A Roth IRA gives a ton of advantages with that, with the taxes. None of these I pay taxes on. None of the dividends, none of the capital gains. Absolutely none of it. So a portfolio that's focused on these high interest, high dividend companies that pour cash continually into my portfolio is something I'm going to focus on. Now, I will say this is I've, I've thought about this portfolio a lot, but I won't say it's perfect. I am open to changing it. With the Roth IRA, you can rebalance your portfolio and sell and put the money into different things easily. And it's tax free. You can rebalance it anytime. You might diminish your returns if you do that frequently. But this is something that I could change down the road. And so I'm looking for your guys' input. If you think I'm uh, I'm on the right track with this, if you guys have different ideas, I'd be interested to hear it. Just keep in mind, the goal with this is to make sure I have enough to retire with if other things don't go well. This is a backup plan. So I'm not exactly trying to totally maximize my return. I'm trying to make sure I have something to fall back on if other plans don't work out. If my other portfolio doesn't work out or if other things don't work out, this is like the last stop, really. And that's why it's all ETFs, stuff I don't have to choose. I plan on literally just at the beginning of the year, throwing as much money and trying to max it out really fast and then leaving it, never looking at it, never really checking it. M1 will just constantly keep this in balance with the dividends that roll in. So that's it. 
So I hope this gives you some ideas, maybe some things you can consider in your portfolio. I'll keep you up to date with this one and let you know how it goes. I'll let you know how the returns go compared to my other one. And it can be kind of a competition that way. This one's a little bit different because I'm not constantly dollar cost averaging into it. Like I can't even deposit more money until 2020. The returns might be a little bit swayed that way, but at the very least, this will give you an idea. I'll show you guys how this performs in different markets and what goes on with it and yeah, how that works out. Now I wanna talk a minute about retirement accounts in general. And I wanna talk about why I think the Roth IRA is the most superior retirement account. I think it's better than 401k or anything else that you can find right now. Uh, and just go through each of them. First, I want to explain the differences between the two. So what you're looking at right now on M1, this is a Roth IRA. It's an individual retirement account. The reason that I can open this right on M1 easily is because it's a Roth IRA. I'll go to the definition here. A Roth IRA is an individual retirement account allowing a person to set aside after-tax income up to a specified amount each year, which is right now at 6000 for most people. Both earnings on the account and withdrawals after age 59 and a half are tax-free. Okay, so it's saying that the money that you have earned, that you've paid your income taxes on, you can put like up to 6000 of that into a Roth IRA every year, and then everything after that is tax-free. All the dividends, all the interest, all your earnings, all your capital gains, everything's tax-free. As long as you keep it in there, the money on your account until you reach the age of 59 and a half. And that's a long time, you know, that's 30 years for me. So I'm, uh, that's like doubling my current lifetime, right? It's a while, but the nice thing is, is all that time, all the growth in this account is going to be tax-free, which is huge right there. But there's more reasons that I like a Roth more than a 401k. 401k, I'll go to the definition of that here. 401k is a qualified retirement plan that allows eligible employees of a company to save and invest for their own retirement on tax-deferred basis. So you skip income tax with the 401k. It's pre-tax, meaning it just gets swept into your 401k before you pay income taxes. That's one of the benefits. And then the main benefit for a 401k is that your employer, which these are a 401k can only be offered by an employer. So it's not something you can just do by yourself. Uh, an employer will incentivize you to put money into your 401k by offering you what's called a match, meaning they'll say, like, if you deposit 3% of your salary, we'll match you at 3%. And then every every percent that you put in beyond that will match you half a percent up to six or something like that. They have different different amounts that they're willing to match, but that's just to get you to use it. That's really what that is. I want to go over some of the things that I really don't like about a 401k compared to a Roth IRA. So like I said, 401k, the benefits are you don't pay, it's pre-tax, so you don't pay income tax, and there's usually a, a employer match with it. That's the main benefits of it. Now for some of the downsides, and I'll go ahead and I'll play a John Oliver clip to introduce this. If you are lucky, your job offers a 401k retirement plan, and if it does, you should probably take advantage of it. But... You should also know they can be a goldmine for financial service companies. And while it's not unreasonable for them to get paid for providing a service, there can be a lot of different fees. There are legal fees, trustee fees, transactional fees, stewardship fees, bookkeeping fees, finder's fees, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, that's just a little bit of it. The 401ks have a lot of fees, a lot of the times. 
And the issue that I see more than just the fees that a lot of these things charge, a lot of these employer sponsored programs is the way that they're ran. It's, it's made to, for the company running these to make a lot of money. Let me go to the drawing board here. This is typically the relationship that a 401k has with you. You have the company that you work at, right? This is a nice building of the company you work at. And you go here every day. This is where you decided to work. Part of the thing they incentivize you to work there is that they offer a great retirement account. Now you sign up for their 401k. Usually the 401k is not offered by the company that you work at because they're not a financial company. You know, the rare chance they might be a financial company, but for most people, the 401k is offered by a third party company. And this is the finance company. Whatever they do, there's lots of different companies that do this. There's lots of different people that do this and they go and they negotiate with the company. And depending on those negotiations, depending on the type of deals that they get, that they charge different amounts of fees. They charge different, they do different investing strategies. They do all sorts of different things. And what I've noticed is a lot of the people that sign up for these things, they don't really even know what they're signed up for. The, uh, the way that 401ks work for most companies is when you sign all your documents for when you're going into your company, you have all those HR documents and you sign up, a lot of times you just check in the box and that's the most you see of your 401k. And then you might, you might pick a allocation like I want to be kind of aggressive with my investments or conservative, but you do not get this level of control of I want to invest exactly in these securities. You don't get anywhere near that level of control. And you're lucky if your 401k actually does well for you, if, if they actually invest it in good things. You're one of the lucky ones in that scenario. Or you're lucky if they're trans completely transparent in what they're investing in. What I've noticed is most people have no idea what they're invested in. They have no idea the fees that are being charged. A lot of people have never even logged into the website of their 401k to see how it's even doing. They don't even know the amount. They might get some statement every every couple months or something with a dollar amount, but they really have no idea of what's going on with it. And that type of obfuscation, that type of layers that make it so that it's difficult to figure out what's going on, allows this company, the finance one, to charge all sorts of different fees. There is a frontline report that talked about how much of an impact these fees can have on your account over time. Assume you're invested in a fund that is earning a gross annual return of 7%. They charge you a 2% annual fee. Over 50 years, the difference between your net of 5%, the red line, and what you would have made without fees, the green line, is staggering. Bogle says you've lost almost two-thirds of what you would have had. That's one example with 2% fees on a 7% annual return, which is pretty realistic if you're looking at a semi-moderately aggressive account, lose over two-thirds of your return over that lifetime. And that's still not the worst case scenario I've seen. My sister, for instance, she had a 401k at, it was some state job, like she worked at a, a hospital and they didn't even invest the money that she had in her account for five years. So it was sitting there, she signed up for the 401k, not a finance person, doesn't know what to look at like most people. They don't know what to look at with it. And it just sat there. And it actually, I mean, it just sat around the same dollar amount during a historic bull run for five years. So that money probably would have doubled or tripled during that time if it had been invested. But yeah, if you have no idea what's going on with your 401k, then a lot of the times even the employer match doesn't make it worth it. So make sure if you do a 401k, which I do recommend if you, your employer offers a match, I do recommend you doing it. 
make sure you know what it's invested in. Actually take the time to look at the website of your 401k, log in there, see what's going on. I guarantee you most of them, if not all of them, are not going to be as clean and easy to understand as M1 is. That's the downside of it. The reason I love a Roth IRA is I can go and sign up right on M1. I have both my accounts together. They follow me from job to job. 401k, I have to do all this paperwork and transfer it from one institution to another if I leave my job. I have to figure out a different interface. There's a lot of different work that goes on with this, Uh, especially in the job markets now where people are switching jobs more frequently. That's kind of a hassle. And then if you get to a point where your new job doesn't offer a good 401k, you have to transition or figure out what to do. Roth IRA, I will have this until I retire. I can have it right in M1 for my entire life until I retire. Never have to worry about all of that. I know exactly what it's invested in. I know exactly the fees being charged. Everything is 100% transparent. That's just some of the things I like. As far as the employer match, I wanted to mention, I see this mentioned a lot that it's free money. And as you know, there's no free money out there. Like a lot of, some people might say dividends are free money. Dividends are not free money, right? You're, you're putting your money at risk to earn them. There's no free money out there. When an employer offers a 401k match, it's free money to you in that specific scenario, because if you're not taking advantage of it, you're not getting it. But employers are incentivized to do this. They get big tax incentives to do this. Here's from Investopedia. It says, also employers receive tax benefits for contributing to 401k accounts. Specifically, their match can be taken as deductions on their federal corporate income tax returns. So they don't do this out of the goodness of their hearts. Pretty much they say we can compensate the employee in two ways. We can raise their salaries to make it competitive, or we can offer a 401k match. The 401k match, it has better tax treatment, so we're going to do it that way. Regardless, that's a lot of the benefit to the employer. So it's a good thing for the employer. One of the the good things about this, on a positive note, is a 401k does get people to invest. Um, since it's pre-tax, a lot of people don't realize that they're really investing it. So they're not likely to turn it off once they see their money going out. And so people do have a retirement with this that some people that aren't as financially responsible, they wouldn't be doing any retirement at all without a 401k. So in some scenarios, it's a really positive thing. As far as the hidden fees that John Oliver mentioned, there's an Investopedia article that goes into this even more. I mean, it's serious what these financial institutions do. They nickel and dime you every chance they can get. And they always talk about how compounding interest works by small amounts over long periods of time. That same exact principle of compounding interest works with compounding expense. If you have all these little fees working against you all the time, they will compound over and over again over the years and cost you a lot like that like that uh, frontline clip showed. So keep that in mind. Um, figure out what you guys want to do. I, I recommend even if you have a 401k, try to start a Roth IRA as well. So moving on, I want to talk about some of the news. This company here, Beyond Meat, this is a alternative to meat company. It's worth right now like $9.3 billion. It spiked above, I mean, it went up to $10.5 billion for the market cap. And I just want to point out this Reddit post that it it brought up some information about this company and the current value of it compared to other different companies and the, the type of metrics they have. So it says, friendly reminder that Beyond Meat now has a $10 billion market cap. This is higher than Madison Square Garden. MSG with a $7 billion market cap, which owns the Knicks, the Rangers, one of the most famous venues in the world and has a revenue of $1.5 billion. This is higher than Planet Fitness, PLNT, $7.3 billion market cap. 
which has over 1,600 locations and over half a billion in annual revenue. Beyond Meat, with a $10.2 billion market cap, has one office, 250 employees, and $87 million in revenue. $87 million in revenue compared to companies that are worth 30, 40% less that have half a billion or 1.5 billion in revenue. Uh, so if you're a cash flow dividend type of investor, this is not the type of company that you put your money in. This is one that's highly risk, highly speculative company. Here's a picture of their headquarters. This was also posted. I mean, this is a one office operation uh, that to be able to live up to this valuation, they have to be extremely disruptive, take over massive market share, and be able to eventually turn on a switch that just prints them cash pretty much in hopes that Tyson or none of the other big competitors will come up and take their business away from them. I'm not putting my money into Beyond Meat. Uh, I don't know if it will continue to go up. All I know is that a $10 billion valuation right now, 9.3, it went down a little bit. That's a crazy valuation for their numbers. This has no margin of safety. No, mar You talk about margin of safety, meaning the company's earnings are really close to its book value so that it couldn't realistically fall all that much. This company's nowhere close to that. It's a very dangerous company, has a huge margin of danger. If not everything goes perfect, it's going to fall down drastically. And this type of like speculative, highly valued jumps in companies is not something that's new. Let's go ahead and look at a couple other examples of this. Blue Apron. Blue Apron stock, if we go to the timeline here, started off at $140 a share and is currently at, well, it's currently at $6.95 a share. That is a loss of 95.04%. That's one of them. Let's go to Tilray. This one started off at $29 a share. It jumped up to $148 a share. And then from there, it went down to $49 a share. That is a loss of 66.48%. Let's go to GoPro. This one started off $35 a share, had a big jump right afterwards, went and over doubled its market share to $86.97 a share. And now it's worth $5.85 a share. So that is a loss of 93% if you bought it at the high. So, I mean, examples of these companies that you're expecting to be tremendously disruptive, like GoPro, people are excited about that. They came out with these new and unique cameras. A lot of times they cannot continue to own their market share because these are new companies. They don't know how to expand rapidly with it. Rarely do companies get this perfectly right. Rarely are they companies like Netflix and Amazon that they have a CEO, they have the Jeff Bezos that knows exactly what to do and has these companies grow into massive behemoths. That's what you're expecting with Beyond Meat. If you own the company at this price, you're expecting it to literally just take over all the market share. Tyson and these other dinosaur food companies, they won't be able to get into the market and disrupt it, uh, what Beyond Meat's doing. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. That's my, uh, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, if you invest in that, just do with your own caution. I'm not going to be putting any money into this type of company. Next thing I had to mention this, uh, Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holmes has reportedly gotten married in a secret wedding. So somebody that's been following this case, uh, has like tweeted out, he has a bunch of sources, former Theranos employees that she's now married. And of course this starts a stir with the whole gossip community and everything. Insider Edition has an article on this, and the title is, Did Elizabeth Holmes Get Married in Secret in an Effort to Get Pregnant Before Trial? 
I love this type of gossip stuff. It's so stupid. It would be pretty amazing if she actually got pregnant before her trial to try to garner sympathy. With most people, I'd say that's absolutely insane. But Elizabeth Holmes is so crazy to begin with that I don't even think that's really out of the realm of possibility. Interesting stuff. This isn't confirmed at all. But the news that she was married, Vanity Fair reporter Nick Bilton, who's written extensively about Holmes and Theranos, later confirmed the news with his own sources. So that seems pretty confirmed. Um, the gossip of whether she's going to try to garner sympathy by getting pregnant is just, that's what it is. It's gossip. But be interesting to see how this plays out. I'll keep following her. I think this is really, uh, I think it's just bizarre. Interesting case. We'll see how her trial goes. But wanted to mention that. The last thing is this wall street journal article on boeing and i thought this was just amazing boeing's latest 737 max concern pilots physical strength turning manual crank during emergency procedure may be too difficult for some people and i showed a video of this before of one guy trying to turn this crank assuming that it was the same scenario that brought down those two planes you had to turn this crank to get the horizontal stabilizer in the right position and if you're just listening to this this crank is it's just a wheel with a lever on it, right? With a wheel with a handle on it is what it is. And they're saying this whole article, the whole point of it is saying that the pilots may be too weak to turn this. So if you're on a Boeing plane, a 737 Max, make sure to check out if your pilot is uh, ripped or not. If it's not, if he's not, he or she's not shredded, then don't get in the plane because if they have to do the manual crank, they're not going to have the strength to do it. That's pretty much what this article is saying. But really, this seems like such a simple fix. This is a, it's just a circular wheel with a handle on it. Just extend the, the crank so it goes out to a bigger radius, making it a little bit easier to turn. I don't see how they can't manually fix this. Seems like just installing a new crank would, would make this a lot easier. So really a dumb article. Doesn't garner a lot of uh, confidence in this that your life might depend on whether or not the pilots have the manual strength to turn this wheel around. Not not a big confidence booster there in flying in one of these planes. Now I'll move on and I'll answer a couple of questions. Had a lot of questions over the previous couple of days. The first one is from Travis Henderson. He says, I have an M1 finance question. I've been auto depositing $10 a day into my M1 account. My account then auto invests everything above $10. This means I'm buying $10 worth of stocks every day, Monday through Friday. M1 Finance sent me an email saying this sort of investing may be counterproductive versus auto investing at a higher dollar amount. Would love to hear your take on this. Keep up the great videos. Okay, so he's saying that he's been putting in $10 a day on the auto invest feature in M1. M1 sent him an email saying that this isn't the best strategy. You should group your money together and invest a little bit more at a time. Really, there's a couple things. I think the reason that M1 is doing this is because bid ask spread really a lot of people just call it spread and it's the difference when you're buying stock you're actually doing a transaction right there's somebody that has to be a seller and you're the buyer and so every time you do that the market a market buyer you're, you're asking for a transaction to take place and a spread is the difference between what somebody's wanting to sell it for and what you're wanting to buy it for usually it's a very small amount but if you're only investing ten dollars that little difference can be eaten up a little bit those little fees what they're saying is probably just, if you're doing $10 a day, Monday through Friday, just do $50 every Monday. That's really simple. When people originally talked about dollar cost averaging, they weren't talking about buying the market every hour or every day. They were talking about doing it once a quarter, once a month. 
They were just talking about any incremental buying of the market that's not just putting a huge lump sum of money in and letting it ride for year after year. So you're still dollar cost averaging, especially if you buy once a week. That's incredibly frequent dollar cost averaging. Every day is insane. That's too granular. You, you don't need to do every single day. Just group it up, do once a week. I've never done the strategy of buying stock every single day. The next question is from wengel.tmg. This is from Instagram. He says, thank you for the video, Joe. It was a nice episode. Looking forward to many more to come. By the way, I was just curious, how did you come up with the financial education on investing? Was it that you grew up watching your dad investing in real estate? Happy Father's Day. Okay, so that's a good question. Yeah, a lot of it was growing up watching my dad investing in real estate. Really, I had a big appreciation for money, more than just the real estate thing, is the fact that my dad owned, at one point, he owned seven apartments. He sold off a couple. There was a hospital that expanded its parking lot and paid premium value to to buy his property because they wanted it. And then there was one other, one other sale there, and he's kept most of them. He just lives off the income of those and then a pension from his job. But the bigger thing was having all these apartments... I grew up working on them and being dragged to work on them and money did not come freely to us as kids. Any of my brothers and sisters, my dad would keep an Excel ledger with every single transaction of everything that we bought. And then he would make us go to the apartment and work to pay them off at like $10 an hour. Or if we were painting, doing something more difficult, it'd be 15 bucks an hour. Those are for the really difficult, horrible jobs to do, like going in and painting an entire bathroom by yourself, that type of thing. But just like mowing lawns, doing that type of stuff, the standard rate we were paid was 10 bucks an hour. And I mean everything. We wanted to go to movies to the, with the friends, buy movie tickets. Okay. He'd allow us to go. He'd give us the money. It'd go on his Excel spreadsheet. And then we would have a, a ledger with added up exactly how much we owe him. And then we'd have to work to pay it back, either by our own job or working for him at the apartments. So I had an appreciation of the effort that gets tied to money growing up. I also came to realize as I got older and older talking to him more about how we afford different things and how the family does that. And he told me that he worked as a, a county sheriff officer. He was a captain of a jail at one point. He, he worked at a, a county sheriff department for 33 years. And if you know cops, they're not, it's not the highest paid career. I mean, the engineers and that type of thing earn a lot more. But yet he's living in a neighborhood where people that live there are doctors and lawyers and surgeons. I mean, there's literally, there's one heart surgeon that lives a couple homes away from him. There's a plastic surgeon. There's a lawyer. There's, there's lots of professionals. And he's living in the same area that they do. And the reason why is because of the investing. It's not because of his day job as a, as a cop. And I saw that growing up. He told me at one point that real estate for him made about 60% of his income and it took him about 20% of his work. That's the difference between owning a business, working for yourself, running that type of stuff, and just working for somebody else. He's not a risk taker though. He always kept his day job all throughout his career for 33 years, even though he's doing well with real estate because his day job was a government job. It would go through any recession. So he's not a risk taker, but he did try to invest, try to uh, make money off of real estate. And he did really well with that. And it's just like, it's the same type of thing that I'm trying to mimic where it's more of a slow, methodical attempts to build wealth. So I'm not going to be doing any type of drastic risks. I'm not going to be doing day trading or anything like that. I plan on doing dividend strategy for a long time. So far, I really enjoy it. It's a different vehicle than what my dad used uh, doing real estate. But yeah, it's the same type of thing. Beyond that, beyond just the stuff that my dad has done, I mean, I have a big interest in it. Like my, 
I, I have one brother that's pretty interested in finance, but I have a, my oldest brother is not interested in it at all. He's a, he's the smartest one out of our whole family. He's a specialized eye surgeon that makes, you know, a huge salary and is doing this whole thing. I'm the one, uh, probably the most interested in finance in my family. So I've just spent a lot of time studying this stuff. I mean, I've been reading business magazines for a long time, been reading the wall street journal and these type of magazines for five plus years now. It's just a huge interest of mine beyond something that I want to do to make money. It's just something I enjoy doing. So that's probably a combination of the two. The next question is from Edgara Gunyas. Sorry if I butcher your account name. This is another Instagram question. It says, first off, I'd like to say thank you so much for sharing your journey on YouTube. So many people that give their advice never show their holdings. My question is, for someone who is starting off investing, your portfolio size seems almost like a pipe dream. Is dividend investing even worth the time for someone like me, 19, who makes around minimum wage? I was just thinking of putting most of my money into the S&P index fund until I actually get a job once outside of college. All the best things. Okay. You know, yeah, this is a whole, it's easy to look at my portfolio value. It has, it's above 40,000 now and I have my Roth going. Um, and it seems like if you're just starting out, it seems like that's an insurmountable amount of money. What I will say is when I was 19, even when I was like 20 or 21, this portfolio also would seem like a pipe dream. I'd, I'd be exactly in your seat. So you can see the difference that having another 10 years makes. That's a long time. That's a long time to learn valuable skills, to finish your schooling, to get good jobs and to start excelling in them and, and to make yourself more valuable and get paid more. So don't get discouraged by my portfolio value. Uh, know that you can get there and you absolutely will if you make really not you don't even have to make the best choices you just have to avoid making really dumb choices financially speaking like if you can just avoid taking out taking out huge amounts of debt just avoid huge amounts of debt if you can um avoid paying 500 bucks a month for seven years for a car stuff like that if you can just buy cheap cars uh minimum school debt try to pay it off as best you can and then come out with somewhat of an education, enough to get you a decent job, and then you don't have debt that will last another 15 years, you're going to be in great situation to have a portfolio value much bigger than mine by the time you're 30 years old. I bet if I was watching this when I was 19 years old, I would be doing better than I am right now. When I was 19 or 20 or 21, I was also making near minimum wage, trying to improve my skill set that I, so I could add more value, but I didn't have nearly the, the understanding of finance or investing that I do now. And I don't think even 10 years ago that the YouTube financial scene was all that interesting. Um, I think a lot of the videos back then were very dry, very difficult to follow. And so I didn't have an interest in that as well. So I, I think you're in a very good situation, especially if you're watching this type of stuff, learning about it. As far as like the specifics, I think you could do dividend investing. You say you, you're thinking about doing the S&P 500 index. That's totally fine as well. I think that's really easy. Just put your money in that. If you want to focus more on dividends, you can put your money. There's ETFs for that as well that you don't have to pour over the different holdings and analyze anything. I think it's good to expose yourself to the market at any age. So if you're over 18 and you can't invest, I think it's good to even put 20 bucks a month into the stock market. M1 makes it really easy to do that. And the experience you gain from that, I think, is incredibly valuable. A lot of people keep saying they will invest when they make more money. Issue is they never get started. So I think starting is a good thing at any age. Just invest a little bit. For your situation, though, it shouldn't be your main focus. For me, like I already make a good salary. I already do things 
Um, I've already done a lot of things to up my value in the marketplace. I can offer a lot of different skills to different companies, big companies to try to help them make money in a variety of different ways, right? So I, I can solve problems for them in different ways. So I have a lot of different ways to make money. So a lot of my focus has shifted over to how do I make my money work for me? That's the more the scenario I'm at right now. Of course, I have to keep educating myself in the workplace in the meantime, but my bigger focus is now, how do I make my money work for me? You're in that first stage where you need to learn how to make money first and focus on that and have the how to make your money work for you part take a back seat right now. Just have it on the afterburners, maybe do a little bit of it, but don't don't get into this trap where you don't even make good money for yourself and you're focusing on how to make your money work for you. I see this happen sometimes where somebody's saying, I wanna make 500 bucks a month in passive income and I make 22,000 a year. It's like, you're, you're nuts. You, you need to learn how to increase your salary to 45,000, 50,000. You need to get up there to where you're actually living comfortable. I've said it before, the amount that you can invest is the difference between what you make and your cost of living. If you're making minimum wage, there's not much room there. There's no, there's no, the difference between those two numbers is not good enough to have any meaningful amount to invest. You can do it for the experience, but don't have it be your focus. Start, start focusing on, or I guess you already are, but keep focusing on ways to, to increase your income. But also when you get to a point where you're earning good income, that's when you should transition and start learning how to, to do the different investing strategies that you really enjoy. Everybody's in different stages. Um, some of us are trying to do both. We're trying to invest. We're trying to increase our income. Keep focusing on how to make more money. Avoid debts in the meantime. That's probably the most destructive thing that you could get into at this stage of life. 19 is debt. So avoid that literally as much as you can, and you'll be in really good shape. You'll have more money than I do by the time that you're at my age, especially if you're, you're following this type of stuff, already interested in it. That's all the questions I'll do this video. I have more, but I'll go ahead and do them in the next video. I appreciate you guys joining in. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't. Just hit the subscribe button. Um, also, podcast is already on Spotify. It's already on SoundCloud. I'm hoping to have it on iTunes. I'll do another video announcing it if I get it onto iTunes as well. So I'll let you guys know. You guys have a good one. We'll see you.